the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 14. 14. I'm Ryan in Seattle. And I'm Howard in Seattle. And Chrissy is in Las Vegas. Oh, I wish I was in Vegas. He's having a good time. We'll hear from her later in the show. Anyway, Howard, welcome to Hi. the podcast. Well, this is fun. I, uh, so, I haven't done a podcast yet, so this is what, new experiences for me. What qualifies you to talk about British TV other than the fact that you've known me for 25 years? And some would say that's enough. Actually, uh, not just knowing you, but hanging out with British TV fandom. God, I remember going to the Who Fests back in the 80s. Oh my God, is it that long? I'm getting old. Also, I lived over there for several years. Over there being in Britain. That's the place. Nottingham, to be exact. And I just so got into TV. I so much prefer TV over there to over here. I, I, I came back wanting to like battle for watersheds and uh, <laughs> he makes a face. <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'd love to see things, you know, American TV to be a little more British. But then again, who wouldn't? Well, I guess half the uh, American public or more. <laughs> okay. I watched a couple things last week. I saw Channel 4's Greatest TV Shows of the Noughties, and it was a countdown of the top 20 shows determined by polls and, and other people and stuff. Uh, QI was the only quiz show that made the top 20. Really? Oh, I'm a Closet Buzzcocks fan, so I would have hoped that would have made it in. Well, but... QI. Uh, yeah. Doctor Who was number three. The Apprentice was number two. This, of course, the British version was Sir Alan Sugar. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. I'm... Still after, when I was living over there, that was when like the reality TV was really cracking off, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And I still, to this day, have not gotten a taste for reality TV. <laughs> and, and, and it just maddens me when I see it just exploding everywhere. I don't blame you. I don't yeah. watch it either. So the number one show, I thought they were going to pick The Wire because they'd had interviews with Dominic West and they kept showing little clips. I thought, oh, don't pick an American show. But it wasn't. They picked Top Gear. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. They're mad for it. They are definitely mad for it, it over is, there. It is their number one export. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I can say I watched it. Hands up in the air. I, someone I told me they were it. trying to do an American remake and they realized they just couldn't. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you don't have those guys and the liability laws would just, the people with lawyers would say, you, you can't do that. Health and safety has said, no way. Right, right, exactly. So they just show the British one, which is immensely popular everywhere in the world. Oh yeah, I'll catch it on uh, BBC America. Yep. Uh, has, yeah, yes, that's right. Trying to remember where all my shows are. I just have the button I hit. That's the one I hit for that one. That's the one I hit for that one. <laughs> the button. The major button. Last week, Chrissy and I debated with the best comedy of the decade. Uh, she picked Spaced mm -hmm. and I picked the IT crowd. And just to test that, I had a party over here last weekend, and as usual, I'm supposed to provide some video entertainment at the end of the party. People come down, what do you got it for us, Ryan? And I said, oh, well, how about the IT crowd? And so I showed them season three, mm -hmm. and it went over very well. Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I'd have to say, you'd have to put a gun to my head to choose between both shows. I love them equally, even though I'd have to say, and you're going to probably jump over the table, but I am more of a spaced fan for obvious reasons. I, I think it would have been a boring podcast if we both picked the same show. Oh, yeah. We're in agreement. Britain should go off the gold standard. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. Siskel and Ebert never had a perfect show. <laughs> right. So it was just uh, I was just to put it in there. Funnily enough, I was going to show it. I told people, I'm going to show the IT crowd, and my cousin was here. And yeah. she said, what's that? And her boyfriend turned to her and started singing, one, one, eight. he did the whole song. He knew all the numbers. Oh, my God. I don't even know the all. <laughs> yeah, I played it eight times, and I still don't, I couldn't do it properly. And I will spare you me trying to sing it. No. Okay. <laughs> so this week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on modern sketch comedy. So news, Patrick Stewart knighted. Woohoo! It's about time someone from Star Trek got a gong. Yeah, I guess he'd be pretty much the only one that would be <laughs> worthy, but still. I'm holding out for Frakes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That'd be good. Maybe, maybe he'll get one of those Knights of the Order thing. Yeah, well, he's for, an American. Or his fine directing work. So yeah, the uh, 69-year-old, best known for obviously Captain John Luke Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation, received a knighthood for a career spanning half a century. Apparently, he reportedly counts the Queen among his fans and said he was, quote, very proud. With roles ranging from Shakespeare to the X-Men films, Yorkshire-born Stuart, who recently returned to British stage in Hamlet after years in Los Angeles, said, now, which of us can do a better Patrick Stewart impersonation here? The theater is and has always been my greatest joy. In particular, the past six years have given me acting opportunities that at one time I could not have imagined possible. That was so bad, I don't even want to even claim it was a Patrick Stewart imitation. All, all that for saying engaged. We should call Michael Santo up, except I know that he's on a train right now to California. I heard, saw that. Yeah. I saw that. No, he doesn't fly, does he? No. I, I don't know. Michael Santo is an acting friend of ours who does not yes. darn fine Patrick Stewart impersonation. Very good. The Daily Mail complains about too much David Tennant over Christmas. Imagine that. So yeah, the British paper Daily Mail wrote an article claiming that if you included repeats, David Tennant was seen in 75 programs over the Christmas holidays and even found a conservative MP who thought that Tennant was overexposed. All the underlying issue was the MP wants the BBC to reveal how much its top stars earns. Well, remember, the BBC is publicly funded with mandatory yes. TV license fees, and the Tories are poised to return to power during the June general election. I'd have to say I probably watched half of the output of David Tennant's. <laughs> I mean, from it was on Buzzcocks. Uh, I think the only thing I didn't really watch was he was reading children's stories on CBB. I missed all his radio appearances. I caught a couple of those because I had uh, Who on Who was quite good. And uh, I'm trying to think what else radio-wise. Uh, that's the only one that's... You, you saw him in Nan's Christmas Carol, right? Oh, of course. Doing a great Russell Brand impersonation. Oh, that was brilliant. I loved it. My wife had never seen Nan, that, that character before, and she was pissing herself. Oh, that was so spot on. Some of the old ladies I, I, I met and knew in uh, Britain. Yeah. Oh, my but she, God. She said, I don't really don't laugh out loud, but boy, that was laugh out loud funny. <sighs> Just that whole thing. She thought yeah. oh, Catherine gonna... Tate was a pip. You're going to have to pull out some of the old Catherine Tate uh, episodes for her to see just the, the, the Nan parts. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, here's what's breaking my heart. Jam in Jerusalem canceled. You... I love Jam in Jerusalem. Are you kidding? I adore Jam in Jerusalem. I... Why, I don't know, but I do. I just think it's some of the cutest stuff. This last short season they did was a bit of a letdown, but uh, the first two seasons I loved. Anyway, it says here that the BBC has axed Jennifer Saunders' sitcom Jam in Jerusalem, ending her 24-year partnership with co-star Don French. When launched in 2006, the West Country sitcom attracted an impressive 6.7 million viewers to BBC One. 
Although audience figures soon plummeted, however, ratings showed signs of bouncing back, with last summer's third series averaging 3.87 million, up half a million on the second season. Oh, openly, openly uh, disappointed on that. I, I couldn't get into it. I tried to really? watch it, and it just was too rural for me. I didn't get it. I think it goes back to, uh, you know, one of the, like I was saying about Catherine Tate's Nan character. I met people like that. Uh, it's uh, maybe not so much like Don French's character in the in the show, but I, I the that whole northern uh, or not northern attitude in their western case, western, but it still is the same thing uh, that up in Yorkshire, which was just north of where I lived. It's the same sort of rural attitude out there, and I loved it. It just reminded me of that. Oh. okay. Well, then then so somebody said that that's being canceled. I am. So what's on TV this week? Wednesday, the sitcom My Family is on BBC One, starring Robert Lindsay. I believe it's a repeat. And it's followed by a repeat of the police drama New Tricks. Oh. Apparently these are last-minute additions to the schedule, according to the Radio Times thing. I guess they moved some things around. Ah. The final part of Above Suspicion, The Red Dahlia, is on ITV One, starring Kelly Riley. I've watched the first two parts, uh, mostly because I saw Kelly Riley in Sherlock Holmes. She plays Mary, oh yeah, uh, Dr. Watson's fiance, and I thought, wow, she's really good. And then I, it, the the penny dropped, and oh yeah, she's on TV this week. Yeah, I, uh, I'll have to admit, I have not. I have not watched them yet. I they're on the burner. They're on the burner though. It's a police procedural. It follows the Black Dahlia case. For some reason, they call it Dahlia in Britain. My dictionary says that's what the British pronunciation is, Dahlia. Americans mm. say Dahlia. Every time I turn around, something like that, yeah. I, I probably wouldn't watch these normally if it wasn't for her, but I was really interested in seeing her work, and she's, mm. she's very good. It's written by Linda LaPlante, and what's interesting, of course, is Linda LaPlante wrote Prime Suspect, which was all about the first woman chief inspector and all the sexism and trouble she had. And... I would swear that in Love Suspicion, it's a gender-neutral workplace. Mm. There's at least three women in the unit. Sean Dingwall's in it. They have a tough gov, of course, as they always do, who's a guy. And they just, everyone's treated very fairly. It's definitely the 21st century. Mm. No, no I, I, like I said, I do have them. I yeah. just haven't watched me yet, trying to squeak, squeak them in between uh, th things I have priority on. And my set of priorities is really skewed. That's fine. Thursday, Silent Witness returns to BBC One with a two-part story that concludes Friday night. And Friday, the Stephen Fry-hosted comedy quiz show QI on BBC One continues with G-series with a focus on girls and boys. It's followed by Silent Witness. You know, each season is a, a letter of the yeah. alphabet, and they're up to the G's. And, yeah, one of our uh, quests in the show, of course, is to try to get QI shown here. It's been determined that it's too intelligent for Americans and nobody will import it. Oh, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> I mean, we're still getting to grips of with are you smarter than a third grader? <laughs> well, you don't. You, so you think it shouldn't be shown here? I don't. I think honestly, I mean, I think it should be, but I don't think the unwashed masses here in America. Uh, well, it would be on cable. Oh well, yeah. Have you seen who has cable lately? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't need to attract twenty million viewers. No, no, that is a point. That is a point. If. Uh, if HGTV can have like, you know, a half a million people watching some DIY show, then I guess. <laughs> yeah. On Friday, Channel 4, the quiz show Eight Out of Ten Cats Returns, hosted by Jimmy Carr. Love him. 
Well, on Saturday, not much caught our eye unless you uh, like competition shows like So You Think You Can Dance. I think you know my answer to that. Yeah, it's kind of a graveyard on Saturday. Like it is here. Oh, well. Sunday, Lark Rise to Candleford returns. The drama set in the 19th century based on the books by Flora Thompson. And keep your eyes peeled on your local PBS stations because the first season might be showing up on a TV near you. And it's followed by Kenneth Branagh as Wallander. Ooh, love Wallander. The African set drama Wild at Heart returns Sunday night on ITV1 with Stephen Tompkinson, Don Steele, and Haley Mills. Exclamation point, exclamation point. I, when's the last time you saw Haley Mills in something? Oh, I know. Last time I saw her was her father's funeral. I mean, honestly. Wow. The second season of Being Human begins on BBC Three about a ghost, vampire, and a werewolf all sharing a flat. And the sci-fi channel in the U.S. is currently working on an American remake. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll see about that. I like being human. I wouldn't say it's like I down old ladies to run to get to a TV to see it, but I do, you know, like to catch it. I think it's an interesting premise. Let's just say they seem to spin on in circles sometimes. Mm. And uh, yeah, but, but. I, I do enjoy it, and I just, it's kind of like when uh, um, they tried to make an American version of Ultraviolet. If you've ever seen the pilot for the American I version. I haven't of, seen it. You haven't. I, I'll get you a copy of it. It's almost like, why did they try? <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, uh, there was some good parts, but it was just, it was too Americanized for my taste. Mm. Yeah. Monday, the documentary series The Lakes continues on ITV1. On BBC One, Hustle continues. The British remake, There's a Switch, of Law & Order, called appropriately enough Law & Order UK, begins new episodes on ITV One Monday, starring Jamie Bamber from Battlestar Galactica mm. and Freema Adjaman. Oh, I, I, you know, I still have not even tried to watch that yet because I'm so sick and tired of Law & Order over here. It's like... <laughs> I do not watch police procedurals, so... Yeah, you know, I, I do, but they have to be a really good one. And Law & Order has just been uh, just been beaten down so hard. Meanwhile, over in, on uh, Channel 5 is uh, Paul Merton in Europe, a travelogue that finds the quick-witted comedian first up in Germany. Yeah, Nice. Some quality on Channel 5. Yeah. Yeah. When I was over there, it's pretty much if it wasn't American shows, it was sport. Yeah. And that's it. Tuesday the 12th, Survivors returns for a second season on BBC One, which explains why BBC America held off screening the first season. They wanted to gang the two together, and it will begin its run on February 13th here in the United States. This remake of the 1970s series about survivors after a plague stars Julie Graham, Max Beasley, and Patterson Joseph. Patterson Joseph crops up yet again. He's hilarious in Peep Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have... I always enjoy seeing them. I actually uh, pulled out the old Neil Gaiman... Neverwhere. Neverwhere. Thank you. I pulled that out again. And he's probably one of the best things in that show. Yes. Yeah. Did you watch the first season of Survivors? No, I did not. Oh. No. No, I saw the first two hours, and basically, I have this thing about Julie Graham. I will watch her do anything. I mean, I have sat through Bone Kickers. Point made. I think she's hot, and I was a huge fan of the '70s Survivor. I have all three seasons of them. And oh yeah. So it was kind of like, well, let's see what they've what they're doing to update it here, and 
Uh, so I didn't see the whole first season, but uh, it's coming here soon. Let's see on BBC America this week on Friday, there's Top Gear repeats and the new season begins January 25th and Friday night with Jonathan Wass. More Top Gear on Monday. Can't have enough Top Gear. <laughs> Saturday on BBC America, Demons continues its brief season of the ITV1 Monster series. It's followed by the Graham Norton show. Did you watch Demons? Yes, I did. And it's one of those shows where I saw the potential and I kept like, like wishing and wishing and wishing it would like find, find a direction and stay with it and get better. But I got what I wanted for Christmas anyway. So, I mean, I didn't need that. Is the most diabolical thing Philip Glenester's American accent? I have paint peeling in my living room because of his accent. I don't know what they were thinking with that. I read that they wanted him to do a Texan originally, and he said, no way. But... Well, eventually he got to in that one episode. Uh, he did a Southern accent in one episode where uh, he came in just going all off, you know, hi, y'all. Or what? I can't even remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. But uh, so he got to do a little bit of that. Yeah. And that was even worse. Dear. The fifth season of Shameless continues Friday on the Sundance Channel. On Adult Swim at 1 a.m. Sunday night, i.e. Monday morning, continues running Look Around You, the 70s magazine show parody. You've seen it, right? I don't stay awake at all, 1 in the morning. But no. you've never seen Look Around You? I have not seen it. Oh, no. it's, it's quite clever. Yeah, it's, I usually catch the Adult Swim stuff like maybe a year and a half after it. I mean, I'm, I'm only just coming to grips with Robot Chicken. <laughs> oh, have you seen The Venture Brothers? See the venture. That is the funniest okay. thing on television. Gonna have to now. Okay. DVD releases. We have got a couple of Doctor Who releases. The oh, first is the Keys of Marinus. Mm, good show. Good episode. It's an old William Hartnell story in black and white. It mm -hmm. includes commentary by actors William Russell and Carol Ann Ford, director John Gorey, and designer Raymond Cusack. Also a featurette, the sets of Marinus, with an interview with Raymond Cusack, photo gallery, and production note subtitles. Also, we have Doctor Who, The Twin Dilemma, commentary with actors uh, Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, and Kevin McNally. The Starman, interview with title sequence director Sid Sutton. Looking 100 years younger, Colin Baker and comedian Amy L Larmy discuss the Doctor's costumes over the years. Strip for Action, The Sixth Doctor, comic strip rep retrospective and production notes subtitles. If you go look at the, the editorial review on Amazon.com, you'll notice it was written by Ryan K. Johnson. Some fool, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Now, that was during my very brief career getting to write reviews for Amazon for Doctor Who episodes. I mean, you basically get paid $50 to watch an episode you've seen a dozen times and write a 150-word review of it. Good times. Yeah, good money if you can get it. And those reviews are still up there 10 years later. So let's do some reviews. And we will start with Doctor Who, The End of Time. We have Chrissy here in Live from Las Vegas. Yeah. Hey, Chrissy, it's Ryan. Hi. How's Vegas? Vegas is good. We're about to go in a limo because this old school place offers its customers who don't have wheels to ride in one of their limos to have an old school Italian dinner at a place that apparently hasn't changed for six years, so that should be fun. Hopefully the food's a little fresher. Yeah, it's supposed to just be traditional Italian food, you know, good. Not spectacular, but tasty. What's the weather like there? It's 
sunny and hits about late high 50s or 60 degrees. We've been going without coats in the day and just taking them at night. 40s and rain here. Yeah, so I hear. Okay, so what did you think about The End of Time Part 2? Well, others have said it online, but I was I was thinking about the zillion and one endings of The Return of the King. It's hard not to. Yeah, with just him. I, and I'm wondering the time frame, because obviously he can move about in time. So how long does it generally, was he regenerating for a long time, or would it take an hour and he was just zipping here and there? That was kind of confusing, because I don't know the history of the, of the show. It's certainly the longest regeneration ever. I mean, I guess you could say, yes, it was a very efficient hour. Right. But normally he just you know, dies and, and it's over. Have you heard of which of the many segments might have been the most controversial? A lot of people didn't seem to like Donna getting a lottery ticket. Oh, really? I hadn't seen that as being controversial. Yeah, I mean, it was trying to give everybody a happy ending. Right. Well, she'll be more comfortable, that's for sure. I love seeing Jessica Himes again. I thought she did really well in her 30 seconds of screen time. Well, after your comment last week about her being called Verity, I was like, what could she do? How are they gonna, What are they going to do with her? I had a feeling that it was going to be a case of her being a, the granddaughter or... Uh, descendant, and I, I was glad to hear of that, because he, he met a lot of people in his three years of the role, but he, she was something special, so I'm glad that was acknowledged. So what did you think of the, this is your first look at the Time Lords, what did you think? Oh, they were, they were kind of silly, have they always looked like that? Yes, they always have the cloaks with the big, large uh, cowls like that. Yeah, I don't know the history of all of his relationship to his own people, except that he was banned to Earth at one point for a while. So they've never really liked him. Yeah, Rassilon was supposedly the legendary head of the Time Lords, and we've never met him before because he's supposedly been dead for, you know, the time frame of the series. And so suddenly to have Timothy Dalton being Rassilon was like, oh, hey, oh. And then, of course, is the mystery of who Claire Bloom was. Yeah, was she granddaughter, or I guess in Confidential they said she was his mother, but a lot of people seem to think she was his granddaughter. Well, they didn't say, which is probably for best, because you could say, oh, maybe it was Romana, an old companion who became president of the Time Lords. Did you cry? No, I didn't cry. I know know people did, but I didn't. What did you think of his last line? Well, (laughs) it was sad. It was just kind of anticlimactic and sort of human, I guess. Well, that's the thing. He's not a human being. I, you know, I made this point last week that, that why has he become such a whiner all of a sudden? Oh, I don't want to die. I need more, more time, blah, blah, blah. And he's never done that before. Now, isn't this supposed to be his last regeneration? No, it's not. He gets two more. Oh, okay. What did you think of the minute and a half of Matt Smith? I liked it a lot. I, I really enjoyed him. Watched the Ruby and the Smoke. I had, had it, but I hadn't watched it until last week. I liked him in that, although I had problems with the show itself. It was kind of weird, but I could see why they looked at him and thought, oh, yes, he's a bit doctorish. Have you seen the trailer for next year? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, because they've got to show him more in action, and he uses Geronimo again. Ah, fantastic or Alonzi, so. Yeah, the funny thing is, the doctors never really had a catchphrase before that. I mean, to Pert, we would see reverse of polarity of the neutron flow, but he maybe said it six times in five years. Do you like part two better than part one? No, I tend to like part one better, I guess, because that gets your brain spinning a little faster than the resolution sometimes. I like John Smith a lot in part two. John Sim? Yeah, I thought he did really well. Yeah. My biggest complaint probably about part two was the many, many scenes that reminded me of other better movies. 
Jack. <laughs> yeah, the cantina scene, <laughs> the TIE fighter attack, Mr. Spock's death. Yeah, but they, they let babies into the Star Wars cantina, the little baby uh, adipose. <laughs> yeah. He waddled in there. Yeah. That was highly amusing. Uh, it sort of didn't really work for me in the context of the show, but on its own, I, I sort of had to laugh. It was funny. Him in his outer space bar. You kind of enjoyed it, but it was kind of eh. Yeah, it, it was. I think the end of season four is my favorite of all time, followed by the end of season two. Uh, the end of season four with Donna. Journey's end. Yeah. Right. Okay. We'll see what the future brings. I'm happy about Matt Smith. I think he'll be fine. Yes. He's and younger, that's for sure. He is a good actor. So. Did you think that Russell T. Davies maybe had run out of ideas? He's repeated himself a lot, especially, uh, it seems, in the last two years. So, I'm, yeah, I am definitely glad that he was able to bring it back. But I'm, I'm looking forward to Stephen Moffat, for sure. I would have to concur 100%. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to what Russell T. Davis finds himself doing next. I think maybe his one-off or miniseries are, be- are better for him than longer-running things. Well, we will see. Yeah. See what he does yet, and which of his muses he uses. He's got Leslie Sharp back, or someone else like that. Or he'll meet somebody lovely in Los Angeles. Could well be. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, calling in, and yeah. enjoy your trip. Your pussy cats are in good hands, I can tell you. Oh, yeah, wait, they're in my hands. They're but very happy to see you. They've 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 been just good boys. Good girl and good boy. Yes. Okay. okay. Sorry, got the genders wrong. Alrighty, well, thanks again for doing it, and I will see you next week. Thanks for calling in. So, Howard, what is your review of The End of Time? Part two, better than part one. Okay, so you thought it went up in quality. It went up in quality. Markedly, yes. I wouldn't say it like went gangbusters up, but yeah. Still, I'm kind of on the meh fence with it, though. It it isn't the send-off I wanted to see uh, David Tennant get. Really, you know, I I think back to Tom Baker's last episode, which is probably one of my favorites of his whole run. Now, remind me again, Tom Baker died from falling from, oh, a height of maybe 160 feet onto a grassy surface. David Tennant falls out of a spaceship, crashes onto a glass dome and lands on a concrete floor, and he's okay. Yeah, it's it's all about... It's all about how you bend your knees, I guess. I'm not sure. that I did, I did find that kind of interesting. I was thinking that was going to be, boom, he falls and he starts regenerating for some, you know, some time after that when he dies. But uh, no, that, the predictable was not what it was. It was, it was the MacGuffin they had waiting in the corner. I can't help thinking I feel very similar as I did 11 years ago when The Phantom Menace came out. And mm. I want to like it, and there's things in it that I like, but I think I waited 16 years for this. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it, it had its levels of disappointment. Now, it's not like I'm going to go out like Simon Pegg in space and, like, burn my entire Doctor Who collection. No, but... no. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big hater, but I, yeah. I'm very disappointed, uh, probably more so with part two than part one. I can't believe that the big finale that that sends off a time lord basically takes place in someone's ballroom 
Right. We're on Earth. We're in a ballroom, for heaven's sakes. The Time Lords show up. I won't even talk about the fact that if a planet got within a million miles of the Earth, the Earth would break up. Okay, yeah, I had I had when worlds collide going through my head on those shots. Yes, planets can't collide, folks. I'm sorry. The gravitational pulls will break them apart well before they ever get close to each other. Uh, oh, yeah. And if that's the only law of physics that you're complaining about off that episode, you're lucky. <laughs> As I said last week, what I like about Doctor Who is when it's an adventure in time and space. But when it basically takes place in the same place that next week John Nettles could show up and solve a Midsummer Murders, <laughs> you have not used your imagination very well. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I would have to say, uh, I don't know if I was like two seconds before or maybe even slightly more, but I start going, oh my God, Wilf's going to start knocking four times. I actually it just crossed my mind because I'm alive, I'm alive. You know, he was all excited about being alive, and I just knew, hey, you know, Wilf's over in the box. They shot gonna... that deliberately for that. You you are supposed to do that a second before the doctor does. Oh uh, yeah, but this is before he even uh, Wilf even knocked. Yeah, I was like going, oh, here it comes, <laughs> and and I was not disappointed on that. I'm surprised he couldn't figure out some way. I mean, basically, all he needed was something to go in there and push a button. Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't couldn't he have, have uh, rigged up Gadget Gadget or something to do that? And oh, yeah. <laughs> also, didn't we see him in Smith & Jones absorb a whole lot of radiation and he just kind of shot it out to his shoe? Oh, it, it, it was different radiation. Yeah, that's Metabilis it. radiation. We know yeah. that kills a doctor. Yeah, now, you know, we'll use that's his kryptonite now. And he certainly does take his sweet time dying. And then when he finally does, he destroys the TARDIS. Yeah, I didn't know if he was going to die or just go to the Grey Havens. Uh, it, was, it was taking a while. As Chrissy was saying, I guess Arkham thinking, well, should he have given that lottery ticket or not? And I'm, I'm on the pro side only because, okay, well, let's look at it this way. Let's look at this like... Uh, if this was a court case, okay, Donna is due some compensation because her she she's she's basically had her brain put into a ringer, so maybe she needs to be taken over. So that's and I like the way they did it with him going back and borrowing the pound from her father, and I think that was a nice touch. Yes. So I'm I'm pro that. I have heard a few people were against it because that's not something the doctor would do or whatever, but I think I think it was just fine. I suppose we should say that uh, probably you would agree with me that everything that Bernard Cribbins did was fabulous. He was pure gold. The man, I mean, honestly, I was, I kind of like want to work him in as a, 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 as a companion. I, you know, let's, let's get the teenager gone next year and bounce Bernard Cribbins back into the TARDIS. Unlikely, but yeah, fun to think about. Yes. So that was the end of time, and now we have Matt Smith coming up here, probably starting Easter would be my guess, but you never know. I'm quietly confident. I I, I like the little bit he had to do there. He kind of, you know, and then watching the uh, trailer, teaser trailer too, he kind of seems like a cross between Patrick Troughton and Sylvester McCoy to me, which... You know, I, let's just say maybe he's using them as inspiration. He's not doing a riff on them. but um, And I kind of like that. I kind of I think that might work just with what we've seen so far. And that's been barely anything. I only have one fear. It's a small niggly one, but I have to say it. And that is the only thing that scares me is that Stephen Moffat is a huge Peter Davison fan. And I've got to say that the Peter Davison era is not a particularly big favorite of mine. Mm. And if he's going to try to copy that, I'm like... 
not sure that's what I want to see. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's done great stuff until now. He's a very original thinker. He does great intelligent programs, and I'm certainly willing to see what he is going to do. I did a mental backflip when I saw those angels in the, in the trailer. The Weeping Angels. The Weeping Angels. Uh, Blink, I think, is the best thing he's written for uh, Doctor Who. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with them again. Yeah. Remember we heard that uh, Rassilon made a throwaway line about having being, you would be cast out like the Weeping Angels of old. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So who knows what's, what's going on there. Right. So there was other sci-fi on over the Christmas holidays, including the Day of the Triffids. Kind of almost the same thing as saying, you know, what we were saying about End of Time, a, a lot of borrowing from other things. Have you seen the, the 1980s version? Not the 80s version. It's no. really good. It's a six-parter, so it had a lot of time to develop the characters. Oh, and I okay. thought the Triffids were really scary in that one. Yeah, no, I have not seen that one. All I've seen is the original and this one. So, okay, mental note. <laughs> get, go get the, the the middle one. I didn't see the first... I missed the first half, so I missed... Uh, apparently, Eddie Izzard uh, survives a plane crash. Yeah, okay. We're back on physics again. Okay, you know... Um, please, if, if, if you're flying in a plane and you think it might be crashing, jumping in to the toilet and surrounding yourself with inflatable vests may not be the thing to save you. It couldn't hurt. Couldn't wait. I mean, yeah, I mm. guess, I guess so. I think I'd rather stay out with my loved ones. Well, he didn't have any loved ones with him. So, okay. But. <laughs> But yeah, that's just, I was just like trying to picture that in my mind, just surrounding yourself with, uh, uh, with life vests and hoping that that's going to save you. Now he didn't come out like, like, you know, he was limping a bit and kind of battered and bruised, but still he, he was the only one to come out. The African mysticism angle that came in at the end there, I thought was a little oddball. Yeah. Well, it was, it's like basically... Here, here is, I'm not going to say it's the cure, but um, here's something to protect yourself. And the, they had the, not mystic, but the, the, the African ceremonial ritual, mask, the ritual, that's the word I'm looking for. The ritual uh, mask. Uh, and, and that's how the Africans figured to do it. And, you know, and, and what the heck, if it works, it works. I mean, it may be a ritual for them, but at least it works out. So, yeah, I, uh, Kind of, like I said, when they started, you know, borrowing from other movies, having to go back in after the girl like in Aliens, uh, you know, that 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 kind of hit me. Like, okay, here we go. We're borrowing again. Well, I spotted a couple other things that were like just little borrows from other things. But I guess, you know, nothing's original anymore. The ending is, is the book where they do go to the Isle of Wight. That is how it ends yeah. in the book. And that's how the 80s miniseries did. They were not defeated with salt water like the movie... Yeah, yeah, no, and if you've ever been to the Isle of Wight, you might want to take your chances with the Triffids. No! <laughs> no, too many motorcycles! I've never been there, I don't know. Oh, okay. Hamlet, starring some David Tennant fellow and Patrick Stewart. I have not allocated three hours of my life to see this yet, so tell me what you thought. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Having been a theater major in college, uh, I've seen a few Hamlets. I mean, even going back, you know, watching the old Laurence Olivier movie and uh, and like 
about it. I think I've seen it on stage four or five times. And, you know, you, you, you get to the point where you're not, you think you're not going to see anything new in, in a Shakespeare play. And boom, suddenly here it is. It's, I mean, the, the colors that David Tennant gave the character of Hamlet just absolutely blew me away. Actually watching it, and, and I, I'm assuming you will be watching it eventually. I'm, I'm holding out hope that's going to be a Masterpiece Classics. Oh, maybe. Since he's the host of it, I, I, I have to think they bought it and they're going to show it sometime this year. Well, yeah, I remember seeing, like, in the credits that... I, Did it say WGBH at the end? Not WGBH, no, I think, maybe it was WNET. Okay. I can't remember now. But it, it, there, it was some of the one of the normal PBS stations that you noticed. Okay. David Tennant, it's like you're watching it and, you know, anyone who's a Doctor Who fan pretty much knows David Tennant's mannerisms and, you know, his, you know, vocal inflections and things like that. And it was almost like just this beautiful template that went over the character of Hamlet. And that just, watching it that way just made it that much more enjoyable to see him playing this time-honored classic. And, you know, you're waiting for each of the soliloquies that everyone almost knows by heart, if they're Shakespeare fans, I guess. But uh, um, And you're just waiting for it because you want to see how he does it. And never disappointed. Never disappointed on anything in that. And the other people in it uh that stewart guy i was uh, he was he was great i can only um, imagine yeah, yeah yeah he he pretty much owned that role pretty much down the line everybody in that production i wish i can remember her name the gal who played ophelia was it's one of those things where she started out a little oh okay and then as it progressed she really took off and you know in the her ending scenes where she's going into madness and everything and she's just like Wow, you just can't take your eyes off the screen. Neat. Yeah, so anyone out there, if you are of the ability to get a hold of this and watch it, do so. Well, we're hoping for a legitimate release here in the U.S. soon. And then there was an adaptation of Turn of the Screw. This is not your grandfather's Turn of the Screw. Yeah, you've seen The Innocents. I've seen, oh, that's probably one of my favorite all-time movies. Oh. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely one of my favorite uh, horror movies. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan of the jump out and go boo or let's have a body count sort of horror movies. So things like, you know, the the orphanage and paranormal activities, the, the let's, you know, not blood and gore, but just true chills, you know, psycho. I mean, is absolutely the ultimate of that sort of thing where, where you don't, it's not what you have to show to scare people. It's, it's how you get their brain going. And so, yeah, the, the original with Deborah Carr really, I mean, I saw it probably when I was, what, 13 years old the first time, maybe even a little younger. And it really had an effect on me then and, and still does now, uh, that image of, uh, the 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 lady across the lake just standing there so how does this remake hold up to those they came from a different angle with it they let's just say if the innocence was made today it might have drifted a little more this way because it was a a little more uh sexually uninhibited they uh play with the relationship between the the two spirits a little more and uh, indeed more with the the man i could try to pull his name out of my head right now and i can't it, it had more sexual overtones hmm. to it and with with the governess as well not necessarily 
that she ever acted out anything, but they kind of showed her sexuality and what she thinks she's capable of. The two children in it were wonderful. Uh, that's in any time I've seen like someone doing a because this thing's been remade, uh, God knows how many times. Always the weakest link has been the children. Uh, just you're not buying them as as these two one minute sweet little urchins next minute evil little connivers and i truly think that probably this one and the innocents are the two with the the best sets of kids in it well, big thumbs up for this huh? big thumbs up for it uh one the, the one big change i was going to mention about it also too is they kind of updated it a little bit instead of uh, being a victorian setting it's actually uh taking place in post-world war one britain and uh, they actually uh, focus more on kind of the, the post-war setting with they actually introduce a character of a psychiatrist who is basically trying to find out what has happened and working in basically what, they, what would be now called uh, post-traumatic stress. And uh, I, I added an extra little interesting uh, flavor to it. So, yeah, but, but yeah, definitely wor worth the watch. If you absolutely adore The Innocence and think that's the ultimate, you may not find this as interesting. But still, I think I think it, it's really worth the watch. No, oh, good. Was there anything else over the Christmas you saw? Oh, my gosh. What else? Uh, you know, I was doing a little catching up. Let's see. What, you know what I watched? They uh, just recently in uh, Britain put out a DVD set of uh, Buzzcocks. Hmm. And I was watching a bunch of that because the hands up in the air. I, I don't know why I'm, 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 a, I'm a Buzzcocks goon. Do you, I, do you miss Simon Ansel? You know, not not particularly. I I still miss Mark Lamar for some stupid reason. Oh yes, good old Mark. Yeah, yeah. I, I go back to him <laughs> on it. So yeah, I I liked what they did this year with them having a different host each week. Some of them worked out quite well. Some well so but i i just thought hey that's a good way maybe next year you know one of those they'll pick maybe they'll have a a, a cordon or uh or uh um david wallums be the host for the whole year if you can tie them down yeah exactly uh, he might enjoy that though uh, do you follow gavin and stacy no i have not uh, i that once again on the burner my oh. priorities are so messed up you know it's like Obviously, Doctor Who has first priority. <laughs> Nothing messed up about that. Yeah, and uh, and honestly, I I I do catch myself watching too many DIY shows from over there. I actually grabbed you know like uh, the Home Show and uh, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. I just enjoy British Home Shows, and I don't know why. <laughs> hmm. It's strange. So our feature this week is on modern UK sketch comedy, which is a topic Howard wanted to talk about. So take it away. My big point of view is, okay, I love sketch comedy. I think it is probably one of the funnest forms of comedy, or as they, in Britain they like to call it light entertainment. I am puzzled why in America we really can't get on the stick with sketch comedy. I think we should, you know, we should be able to put out, I mean, over there, one of the big things they have is the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. And... I'd probably be safe in saying at least two thirds, maybe an 80% of what you see on, uh, on sketch comedy comes 
in some way from the Edinburgh Fest Comedy Festival. But I, I'm, I'm just baffled why in America, you know, occasionally you get a show on Comedy Central, you know, sketch oriented like uh, David Chappelle. But those are far and few. Basically, between. it's Saturday Night Live and then Mad TV, which isn't even on anymore. Yeah, right. Exactly. They then sequestered off into the hinterlands where um, you could catch, you know, Harry Enfield uh, at eight thirty at night, or uh, you know, you know, whatever the new ones are. We got. Uh, I mean, just recently, uh, the Wrong Door was absolutely hilarious. Did you ever catch Wrong nope, Door? I've not seen that. Wrong Door was funny. The best thing they ever did was when they turned a trip to Ikea into uh, a journey through Narnia. <laughs> it's literally it's, uh, it's a couple's putting together this wardrobe, you know, Ikea-style wardrobe, and they can't find the instructions. They don't know what's going on. And we'll look for that little tool. I think I left it inside the window. And he opens it up, and all of a sudden this glow comes out of the wardrobe, and it ends up there walking through. The, they, they call it Narnia, but it's spelt like, you know, this one of the Swedish words you see right. in the cabinets. And they're just wandering through this forest, but instead of it being a forest, it's like set up with ikea aisles and every time they try to walk off the aisles and go off the path they get scooted back by some guy in a night outfit <laughs> oh, what series was that from uh, wrong door what, what did that go on uh that was on uh, bbc in uh, 2008 okay it's one of the shows that, as opposed to some of the others where you like you might have a cat like a man stroke woman where you have your four your six main characters this one it's like there was no end of people they were using ah. in it. They just, you know, it, it was like literally, it's almost like they're start stopping people on the street. Hey, do you want to be on a sketch comedy show? Come on in here and we'll, we'll use you for this scene. I even mentioned another one that is absolutely a favorite of mine. I think they were trying to make an American version of it. It was Man Stroke Woman. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, anyone who's a Nick Frost fan has to watch that. It's basically, as the name uh, would uh, let you know, it, it's mainly the... Uh, the interplay between men and women, yeah, uh, done sketch comedy sh- style. A lot of uh, stuff they call back to, you know, same uh, same type of sketch being repeated over and over again. Like uh, with the baby, I, uh, I can't never stop laughing about the baby, uh, where it's like, what have you done with Timmy? And he's like. You know, talking about cooking the turkey and how mom's going to be uh, impressed. And he looked, you know, and the lady walks in. What have you done with Timmy? And he looks over into the, the, the bassinet and there's a butterball turkey sitting in the bassinet. Oops. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the thing with British sketch comedy is they just have such a rich history. And we, our, our history with sketch comedy kind of just dropped off a cliff. I think it's because radio. There's still a lot of original comedy on BBC Radio. Mm-hmm. The only comedy on radio here are morning zoo shows. Oh, God, I wouldn't... I can't even imagine something like that on TV. No one's creating, you know... Oh, well, that's not true. They're, well, that's actually... It's a Canadian show, Wiretap. Okay, I've heard of that one. Because I, I, I listen to uh, Radio Lab, and they're of the same ilk, Radio yeah. Lab and uh, Wiretap. There is definitely comedy on NPR, but, you know, Prairie Home Companion kind of comedy. Yeah. You know, Garrison Keillor does sketches. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and the comedy quiz shows, right? Because I listened to I got Carl Castle's voice going through my head. Oh, wait, wait, don't don't tell tell me. Thank you. Okay, God. Yeah, I'll listen to that because that's funny, but you know, that's quiz, not sketch. Right. Yeah, and you know, your point is well taken. That's something I did a lot over there. I I even still do get a podcast, the, the Now Show. 
Mm. The now shows, uh, you know, it runs for like six weeks and then uh, um, something else takes over and then it'll pop up again, you know, like two or three times a year. You'll get six, a block of six shows of the now show. And that's that's more current affairs type humor, not necessarily the nine o'clock news type thing. But the radio is turning out so much material over there. Mm -hmm. And so there's people getting into it. Of course, that's where the Bush started. That's where the League of Gentlemen started. Goodness gracious me. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of the first things when I moved to Britain I saw was Goodness Gracious Me, and it had me rolling. Bombay is the restaurant capital of India. So how come every Friday night we end up here, eh? Because that's what you do, eh? You go out, you get tanked up on lussies, and you go for an English. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be a Friday night if we didn't go for an English, innit? Huh? Anyway, I love English food, yeah. I get off, you just fancy the waiters, innit? <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> We're ready to order now. I think Sarah's feeling unwell. No, don't worry about him. He's fine. He's all right. He's never sick. Yeah, hey, what's your problem, Sonny? Eh? We come here every week and spend lots of money. Eh? You should be grateful. You should be grateful. Shut up. I believe it. He's all right. He's waiting. You know, he's a mate. I say. James, you're my mate, aren't you, James? James is my mate, you know. It's James. James, yeah, that's what I said, damn it. Hey, hasn't you got lovely pale skin here? Yeah? It's really nice and pasty, you know? Yeah, but you know what they say about white men, don't you? All right. What are we having here? Okay, jams. All right, first up, we'll have ten. No, twelve. Twelve. Twelve bread rolls. <laughs> Fancy stuff. Um, what you? Butter. Oh, butter, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, main course. What's everyone having here? Yeah? What's the blandest thing on the menu? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scampi is particularly bland, so. I'll have that. And bring a fork and knife. <laughs> listen, listen, yeah, listen. Yeah. I'm going to have the same as him. No. Uh-huh. Except I'm also going to have prawn cocktail. Hi, hi. <laughs> Gammon steak, please. Jams. Tell you what, give him the gammon steak, huh? But leave off all your crap. And none of your peach halves and the pineapple rings. Not in his condition, you know what I mean? And I'll have the gammon steak as well, but crap on the side, okay? Uh, enough. Um, could I just have the chicken curry, please? Oh, God, enough. Enough. Come on, it's an English restaurant, yeah? You've got to have something English, no spicy shices. I don't like anything too bland here. Yeah, have something a little bland, huh? Hey, Jamas, what have you got that is not totally tasteless? Uh, the steak and kidney pie is only a little oh. bit there. Uh, there you go, Nina. Steak and kidney pie. Yeah? No, yeah, it knocks me right up. I won't go to the toilet for a week. Nina, that's the point of going for an English. No, Amira, what are you going to have? I can't decide between the steak and kidney pea and the cod money. Well, I'll tell you what, you have the cod, I'll have the pea and we can mix and match. Okay. Actually, I think that is the way you're supposed to eat this sort of food. I quote that to my wife all the time. I want the blendest thing in the menu. (laughs) So, in a way, the the radio provides kind of a, you know, training ground for the comedy and the good stuff, you know, makes a leap to television. So there is that sort of training league of of sorts to get that on there. We have nothing like that here. Uh, Well, there are... Uh, the second city 
there's theater comedy yeah. troops. And that's where a lot of our, you know, usually what happens is Groundling, Second City, what happens is someone gets really good and Lorne Michaels picks them up, picks them up and brings them over to New York. And, right. and then everyone gets funneled through that sausage machine. And unfortunately, then you get that stamp on your forehead. You're stuck making uh, Lorne Michaels produced movies for, you know, 10 years after you're Well, off. to be fair to Lorne Michaels, though, I think Tina Fey would not be where she is without Lorne Michaels. Oh, without a doubt. Or Will Ferrell. Yeah. That matter. But I mean, he, you know, he produced 30 Rock and he, it was his cloud at him saying, you know, Tina, write this show. You should be in this show. You should write this show and going to the network and saying, look, you know, let's make this show. Yeah. And making it happen. So. Yeah. But for every 30 Rock you have, you get a night at the Roxbury or two. <laughs> Not everyone makes hit movies. I mean, the yeah. best, turn, turning a, a sketch into a movie. Because remember, they're going to do MacGruber is coming out as a movie. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Now, how do you turn a 30-second sketch where the guy blows up at the end of each sketch into a feature-length movie? Yeah, yeah. I, they, they do pick the weirdest things to expand upon on. Yeah. But certainly, yeah, a steady diet of, of shows in Britain. There's always a sketch comedy show running at some point or another. Yeah, actually, there's one that's about to start. I kind of lucked in. I found the pilot and was watching the pilot for it. Uh, this guy's internet artist named Limey. He's from uh, Scotland and uh, coming up this week, actually, on BBC Two in Scotland on the, uh, I think it's the 11th at 10 o'clock there. He's going to have his first episode. I think it's a series of uh, of six shows he's gone. It's only available in Scotland? Well, it's on BBC Two only in Scotland. It's going to be on Sky 990 throughout England or UK, I should say. And what's the show called? It's Limey or The Limey Show. L-I-M-E-Y? L-I-M-M-Y. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know he's on the internet. He that's where he kind of got his start doing little short, funny films on the internet. Once again, okay, you can do that. Okay, everyone in America, start making sketch comedy shows on the internet, and eventually you'll be a star. Okay, well if they're good, <laughs> I think that's I think that's our takeaway here: is the internet's going to be what saves sketch comedy in in America. <laughs> we'll see. So what are there, some of your other favorites from Britain? Oh, my gosh. Let's see, that I haven't mentioned yet. I'm a fan. I like the 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 two-man shows. You know, you know, maybe not so much Morecambe and Wise, because that's really old school. But, uh, like the double Ar- act. The double act, yeah. You're Armstrong and Miller. Of course, French and Saunders, whenever they... You know, I, I think they've pretty much beaten their horse to death. Yeah. I want to like Holmes and Corden. But Horn and Corden. Horn, Horn, excuse me. I, I saw Horn the first one. I can see why it's on BBC Three. It, mm-hmm. it does rely, and I, 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 I do like Matt Horn. He's very versatile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you know, of course, you've seen him in Catherine Tate, exactly. Gavin and Stacey. He was in a really great show called Roman's Empire. Did you ever see that? No. It was very funny. No. Okay. Mental note. Because, yeah, I do like him and, a lot. And, they, and he plays a lot of different characters. He takes some very nervy kind of things that he does on that, on that show. But, yeah, the writing was not first rate. And, uh, you know, the BBC did not commission a second season of it. Yeah, oh, they did not. I, ha- I You know, honestly, I'm usually the last one that finds out when something's getting picked up or not picked up. What's another one? Oh, one when I was living there that I really adored was Smack the Pony. Oh, Smack the Pony's fabulous. Smack the Pony, I love. And... Uh, Pretty much every woman in that show is 
adorable. I love, you know, from oh, yeah. Sarah Alexander and Duma Kitchen. Yeah. Oh, I just, I, I just thought that was some of the most freshest, funniest comedy. You don't have to be a woman to enjoy Smack the Pony. <laughs> Definitely. No, it was great. And it was shown over here. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not catch it over here. I hate the way some of these shows get treated when they uh, are put on American TV. You know, they get cut every which way but loose and i like seeing them in their original form i'm just that's my way big train's another one yep big train because that's that's that pretty much is where i first i believe i first saw simon Pegg. okay i'd yeah. seen him before that because i'd seen faith he... in the future uh, uh yeah and his six pair of pants which was a sketch comedy series that he did with jessica stevenson yeah i heard of that one i have not seen that. i can't find it so oh uh big know. big train was uh very funny my favorite sketch out of that was the home life of ming the merciless yes yes tinky winky la la Oh, <laughs> just dressed up like, just imagine Ming the Merciless watching Teletubbies and you pretty much got the whole idea. See, it was Mark Heap. That's right. Mark Heap, uh, if, uh, you're, uh, if you're a Spaced fan, you know of Mark Heap. Or Green Wing. Or Green Wing, yeah. And now he's in Lark Rise to Candleford. Yes, that's right. God, he, he just, he, sometimes these people just come out of nowhere. <laughs> you see him and find him in things. But yeah, I got Mark Heap dressed up as Ming the Merciless, sitting around basically what looks like, you know, your average British, you know, two up, two down house, uh, watching Teletubbies and people come to the door, you know, shall we kill the prisoners? Uh, yeah, yes, go ahead and kill the prisoners. And he comes back and keeps watching more Teletubbies. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious, and then of course the, their biggest running gag on Big Train was the the staring competition. Yes, with the great narration sounding like a cricket match. Now this, as they say, is the big one: Benny Kayang against Leonard Holtz. If you just joined us, you're watching the 43rd World Stare Out Championship Finals. <laughs> Leonard Holtz, he's such a natural talent, and incredible to think he won't be 18 until May. And this uh, massive crowd, which has turned out today, well, the majority, you have to say, are here to see the youngster from Chesterfield. Um, yes, uh, you've got to feel slightly sorry for the German. Um, I would say almost everyone here wants to see Leonard win and go on to the final. And he has his lucky panda, Didi, with him today. And lots of girls in the crowd with their little pandas too. I read somewhere that his fan club is now 250,000 members strong. And you get a free panda when you join. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a hero to the young, isn't he? He's the sort of man that uh, will get young people looking at staring and saying, yes, I want to stare. Like the first episode, there was really not much, just the staring. And then eventually they started working things in like streakers and, 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 and someone in the crowd shouting and it's like... Silence, please. <laughs> yes, big. I like Big Train quite a bit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess probably we'd be remiss not mentioning... I've honestly only seen clips from it, kind of almost similar to our Saturday Night Live when they do clip shows. In Britain, they tried to do their own version of Saturday Night Live. They just called it Saturday Live, though. And that's where a lot of your people, like uh, um, Lenny Henry... Well, Ben and, Elton and, and Harry, Elton, Harry Enfield and all Harry that. Enfield that was from the eighties. I mean, they were yeah. That's going back. That I, most of, most of the gags were, you know, is it Margaret Thatcher destroying the country? 
Exactly. Well, Ben Elton in it? Come on. <laughs> well, he was the host. Yeah. And his spangly uh, thing. But that was, you know, that's 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, but that's about when I think that a lot of these shows really started picking up. I don't think up to that time it was all very Morkman-wise Well, the, the, the comic strip came out. Right. And you see early ones of that, and a lot of them ended up in the young ones as well. I mean, mm. the episode Bambi has... Well, it has uh, both Mel Smith and Griff Reese Jones in it. Tony Robinson's in Tony's that. Robinson. Robbie Coltrane's in that episode. Yeah. Emma Thompson's in that episode. Yes. Hugh Laurie's <laughs> in that episode. Stephen Fry's in that episode. Every time I think of Emma Thompson, and I always have to, I, my mind just goes, my daddy bought me a Porsche. I have a Porsche. <laughs> yes. And that's just one episode of The Young Ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. But that I, was all everybody coming out of the comic strip comic and strip, right. Peter Richardson and things like that and, and then getting on TV and starting to be the alternative comedy guys. Right. Alexi Sale. Oh, of course. Yeah, and he had his own show, sketch show for a while there too. Yeah, he kind of ran out of gas near the end, but some of his early ones were, were, mm-hmm. I thought were really good. Mm-hmm. So basically, America, let's start making, or I guess... Finding a way to foster building a sketch comedy. I think you have to change the entire infrastructure because, again, radio provides such a place for people to develop things and for writers to get... Because it really comes down to the writing. I mean, most of these shows are not two guys writing scripts. They have huge teams of guys doing that. And anybody who's good at writing comedy in this country is either working for sitcoms or trying to write a movie because that's where the money is. Right. You're not going to waste time writing your gags for some sketch show. So infrastructure change. How much infrastructure change does this country need? Come on. (laughs) We'll just keep importing our comedy from uh, Britain there. Yeah, I guess that's the only way. It's the only way. Well, so next week, Chrissy will be back, and we're going to be looking at video piracy. How exactly do Howard, Chrissy, and myself see and obtain these shows from Britain? Well, we'll tell you how, but we're also going to interview an intellectual property lawyer who will tell us exactly what is legal and what isn't. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely I'll have to listen in then. <laughs> I got to admit, I lately I've mostly been uh, streaming, so I watch things live. I found, yeah, I found some some stuff. You know, I still, if there's a way to get iPlayer to work <laughs> over here, I would love that so much. Yes. So, uh, meanwhile, we would like you to go visit our website at www.britishtvpodcast.com. There you can find links to news articles, show notes, what's on TV this week, and you can find an archive of old shows. If you want to send us some feedback, send it to feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. If you have a question or a comment or a criticism or whatever, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I got I got live feedback from a friend of mine over the weekend, and he was like, how come you don't leave the what's on TV in the old show notes? You don't archive you know, what was on like two weeks ago. I'm like, well, listen to the show. Oh, I don't have time. Like, dude, that's why we're doing it as a podcast. <laughs> if you're not going to bother to listen to the podcast, then yeah, I, who cares? <laughs> I like that. That's, that's a good one. Like, well, you can't fast forward through a podcast. Well, yes, you can. But uh, yeah, because he wanted to know what was on Christmas that he should have been watching. And I'm like, well, you're just going to have to spend an hour of your life and listen to that podcast. Or, or do like I do. Go to the BBC website and then start pawing through their listings and go over to ITV and paw through their listings. RadioTimes.com actually is very, very good. Yeah. That's pretty much what I do. And I, and I just look for titles and look for what's new and and avoid the soap operas and reality shows. Yeah, that's that's really hard to do. <laughs> 
Well, EastEnders was the most popular program over the over Christmas, like both Christmas that. and New Year's Day. They they were top of the ratings. I, I saw guess they that. killed off an important character, and people were very um, involved in that storyline. When I was living over there, that's when they killed off Martina McCutcheon. I remember that that was a oh. Christmas episode. So yeah, it's like yeah, if if your contract's coming up soon and you're on EastEnders, Christmas is coming. Bob, be afraid, be very afraid. Well, it's all for the story. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Howard. We'll have to have you come back sometime. Oh, I'll be here. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week.